Hello, Tiger Nation. I am Byron Hulsey, headmaster at Woodbury Forest School, and I would like to welcome you to the Woodbury podcast series. This podcast consists of informal yet substantive conversations with alumni, faculty, staff, and students. The conversations explore how Woodbury's core values empowered alumni to build a solid foundation for their lives, how those core values are taught today by Woodbury teachers, and how those values are put into practice by today's students. Thank you for joining us, and we hope you enjoy. Welcome to the Woodbury Podcast. I'm Byron Holsey, Headmaster at Woodbury, and I'm joined today by Jackson Mateo, who is uh, Woodbury's head football coach. Jackson also works in our Academic Development Center and has already established himself as a, as a real positive force on, on campus. He's, he's a dorm head. He's deeply involved in the, in the whole of the school. Jackson, it's, it's great to have you. Thanks for taking a little bit of time. Really, really happy to be here. Usually when I'm in your office, it means that we're having a deep conversation about something. and I'm happy to just have a nice sit down and chat. So. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I've been looking forward to it as well. So thanks yeah. again for, for coming. Let's talk a little bit about your life before Woodbury. How, how did you, ultimately I want to get to the story about how you, you came to Woodbury and why you came, but let's just start with you growing up. Tell, tell, me, tell us a little bit about that. I think the, the cliff notes of my upbringing, I was born and raised in Northern Virginia, uh, born in Mount Vernon, Alexandria area. And I lived there until I was nine or 10. My parents uh, divorced, which was really a, a big event in my life that had a lot of, it kind of shaped my, the way that I viewed the world. We moved with our mom, my brother and I, two years older than me, we moved to Ashburn, Virginia. And that's where my brother, my mom and myself uh, lived until I graduated high school, went to right. Broader in high school. You know, it just wasn't so easy. Right. There was also there was always some adversity. Again, just getting back to the your experiences kind of shape your perception of right. life, and I think that I learned at that age to kind of be a protector for my mom and a mm. protector for my family, and just by the circumstances that you were given. My mom did a, an amazing job. She worked so hard. My dad, uh, you know, albeit he was not in the picture because physically he just was back in Alexandria. I always knew that my dad loved me, cared about me, supported me. We switched weekends and I saw him uh, frequently enough. And, and definitely when I went to college at the University of Virginia and got the opportunity to play football there, my dad was really supportive, loving, and, and did his best to show that. I was also really fortunate to have a, a, a stepdad. We, I call him my step dude. He's not, he hasn't, my mom and uh, Nick, his name, they aren't married, but they've been together for 16 years. So there's really only about a year or so gap with no quote unquote father figure in the home. Right. Nick stepped up and has done an amazing job. My dad was supportive in his own way, and, and he was able to show that. And, and then, yeah, to, to the University of Virginia, where uh, Byron, I know you're familiar with, and really helped me kind of mold into a young adult, having the opportunity to play football there, to serve as a captain under uh, Bronco Mendenhall my fifth year, pursue advanced diplomas and uh, further my education there. Charlottesville was like a second home to me. It is like a second home to me. My mom still lives there on the downtown mall and the people there, the energy there, really just put the exclamation point on, okay, this is who I am. This is what I believe. These are the people that invested in me throughout my young adulthood. And they allowed me and kind of shaped me into 
what I would consider a, an, a, an adult man going out into the world. And, and, and that's kind of, I think those are kind of the important cliff notes that really shape my ideologies and, and who I am. How did, uh, one of the things I find really interesting about your background, which I know a little bit about, of course, from our conversations, must have been really, really interesting to be recruited to play football at UVA by a coach who was ultimately let go, mm. make your way into, you know, essentially a whole new program with a new coach coming in, not only survive all that, but ultimately be a captain of the team and then a graduate assistant. That transition must have been really significant for you. I was recruited by Mike London, yes. as you, as you uh, hinted at. Walking on to UVA as mm -hmm. a preferred walk-on, that's another important detail in that whole, uh, my whole uh, career as a student athlete at Virginia because, again, it kind of is in aligned, it's kind of aligned with the idea that nothing's going to come easy. Right. Divorced parents, tough kind of upbringing, I would say. Kids have a lot, a lot tougher than we did, but it, it wasn't easy. Walking on to a Division One Power Five program, it's not easy. Right. You know, and, and then earning a scholarship, then with the turmoil of the staff, right, it just wasn't easy. I was able to be resilient, I think, because of the way I was brought up. London gets let go, and then an entire new staff. And you know, I remember when Bronco first took over the program. All the rumors about Bronco Mendenhall are are true. So whatever you heard about him, you and I have had yeah. conversations about him. They're all true. He's just as Kind of, and he he'd appreciate this actually. He's just as twisted as you think he is. Yeah. His first uh, team meeting at Virginia, he he said to everybody, "You guys look dejected, and this team looks sad, and you don't look like you believe in yourselves." And I just want to say this: this is going to be the toughest thing you've ever done in your life with me as your head coach. If you're not up for the challenge, please come find me, and we'll get you a new home. And I think maybe 10 or 15 full scholarship guys quit right after that meeting. Wow. But again, it was, oh, this isn't going to be easy. I'm kind of used to this. I kind of live in this space where it's not really easy. Yeah. So I, I loved it. I was like, I'm not going to go anywhere. A few guys transferred and I'm not going to, you know, I, I love this place and I love a challenge. My senior year, I refer to it as the kind of the sacrificial lamb for Virginia football. Sure. We, we went two and 10. Right. Lost to Richmond. Yeah. And it wasn't close. Right. You know, and then making the transition to a graduate assistant ship there. It was a unique experience in that I was just on the team with everybody. And I remember Kelly Papinga, he's a former Brigham Young graduate, um, played a bit in the NFL, and he was the outside linebackers coach at Virginia at the time. And all of Bronco's kind of disciples on his staff, I think maybe eight out of 10 of them were GAs at once. He really believes higher from within. Yeah. When I asked Coach Papinga about making the transition from player to GA, he goes, you get to decide how you want these players to see you. If you want to be friends with them, they won't, be, they won't take you seriously as a GA. But if you draw the line and you want to be looked at as a graduate assistant, then don't go out with them and draw the line. Yeah. And you can be friendly with them. But I remember that was a big identity shift for me because sure. other GAs might be still best friends with guys on the team. But I wanted to make it a, a firm line, like, hey, guys, like, you know, I love all you guys, but I'm embarking on this journey now. Right. You know? You're a humble guy, so you, you, you won't draw any attention to yourself. But it's a pretty remarkable story to make your way through a transition, become a captain, and then a GA hired by the new coach. 
Mm. It's kind of the polar opposite of what's happening, it seems like, at Colorado with, with Deion Sanders. The whole landscape of college athletics right now is, we, we just listened to uh, Kevin Roos, I think his name is, right? Yeah. The idea that things can change so quickly right. with uh, artificial intelligence but just take that same ideology and put it to college football. Yeah, there's a lot, college of, athlete. A lot of similarities. How quickly right. can things change? NIL wasn't there when I was in college. Transfer portal was not really a thing. Right. You had to go through an you know, arduous transfer process through yeah. your schools. Bronco and I when, I, when I met Bronco, it did feel like we were kind of kindred spirits. I have always been attracted to positive male role models because of the turmoil that I went through you know, as a young kid. There are men that I've tried to emulate and steal from and try to learn from. And immediately I, I found trust and admiration in Bronco. I call him Bronco. I wouldn't call him Bronco to his face. I call him Coach Mendenhall. But take him at face value. He's a person who coaches for the right reasons. He loves the people that he's around. His number one rule is, if I don't love you, I'm not going to hire you. And he's so upfront and transparent that, yes, that is a tough transition to make, you know, from a new coach yeah. as a captain to the graduate assistantship. He really is trusting you. He sure he is. But he, but he also says, trust this process. You and I will have a relationship and an op- you'll have an opportunity to be around this program for as long as I'm doing this thing. He calls it his uh, Eskimo apprenticeship. I forget, I think it was Ernest Shackleton. He was trying to make a trip to the North Pole. Yeah, right? absolutely. And the North Pole, South Pole, whatever it South is. Pole. South Pole, yeah, there you go. And Shackleton puts out a, have you ever heard about this? I have. He puts out that little descriptor in the yeah. newspaper and it says, long trek, yeah. dark nights, yeah. no wages, yeah. return, uh, return, uncertain. uncertain. Yeah. And he put that up to the team, and he was like, this is Virginia football. <laughs> and he even put it on the walls in, yeah. the, in, the, in the facility, the McHugh Center. And That's he, really cool. He called, that was what he called the GA ship, was like, guys, these are going to be late nights. Yeah, no money. No money. Yeah. You're getting paid peanuts, man. Yeah. Return of safety, not guaranteed. <laughs> and, but it was like, I love this. Yeah. This is what I want. And I know in my soul that this is going to make me better. Yeah. So it was easy to just jump in. Yeah. It was really easy. That's uh, that, that's really cool. Yeah. Uh, now tell us a little bit about how you how you found Woodbury, how you came to Woodbury, what that was about as you kind of thought about next steps in your own life. When COVID happened, I had just finished up my, my final year. You get three years to be a graduate assistant. Right. Virginia had went to the Orange Bowl, right. um, had beaten Virginia Tech. Finally. 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 Yeah. Yep. Hey, look. Well done. I got it done one time. That's right. Well, I wasn't on the field, but, you know, I got to go you out on there. a win. That's right. I was there. Yeah. And uh, after, uh, I think it was 2019 fall and then going into spring of 2020, right. I was really focused on my academic uh, progress right. in, a, in a doctoral program at, at Virginia and, and, and getting my coursework done for mm-hmm. that. And then I go on spring break, and then COVID happens, just like everybody else. Right. And now the world is upside down. Right. I just was kind of channeling my inner Bronco, and I was like, you know, I, I want to do something different. I have roommates. You know, let me find, let me find a, you know, I want to live in like a cottage in, mm-hmm. on a farm. Mm-hmm. Like, I just want to be out by horses and mm-hmm. like <laughs> run miles and, yeah. and just live like a, a stoic, yeah. you know, like, and uh, get rid of all my belongings and stuff like that. Total reset for me. So I did. 
I, I found, I went on Craigslist, wouldn't recommend for the listeners, but got on Craigslist. First thing was Cottage Farm. Uh-huh. Uh, it's called Yule Farm yeah. in uh, Charlottesville. It's about 15 minutes, near, right past Foxfield. I lived in a little cottage uh, for about eight months, got a phone call from my grandmother, and she, has a, she had a home in Monterey, California. I was like, hey, this is a great time to write a dissertation and, and conduct research. I'll have to go do it in Monterey. And she said, you know, we're not traveling because of COVID. Go out there, take care of the house, and it'll be a perfect spot for you to write. And I, and I did. One day I got a phone call from the then director of football operations at Virginia, Jerry Capone. And he said, have you ever heard of Woodbury? Yeah. And I said, well, I know Terrell Janna. Yeah. I know Lyndall Stone. I know John Curvin, Lee right. Dudley. Yeah. But I don't know about it. I've never been there. I've never seen it. And he said, well, there might be an opportunity for you there. I'm going to put you in touch with uh, Matt Blunden. I said, I know Matt Blunden. Yeah. I, I, I was on the team with his son, Ethan. Yeah. The Blunden name at Virginia is like the Hall of Fame. Right. You know, happy to talk with Matt Blunden about an opportunity. And it really worked out, Byron, in that I was in kind of a COVID haze. Why would I leave Monterey? Sure. I'm doing research. I'm a full-time doc student. Do I really want to go back into the workforce? Like, man, I really like my life right now. But I, I do think that the, the one thing I was missing uh, above all in, in the COVID times was the interaction that you have with young people and how my cup gets filled up is through coaching and developing and helping young people. It really just, it fills my cup. And I was missing that. I was having a lot of fun and I was writing and I, I, I was doing my best to keep a routine and stay healthy and eat right. healthy, blah, blah, blah. But coaching, it, I, I totally missed it. When the opportunity came up and I, I spoke with Coach Braswell and I think we connected over Zoom. We did. And I went through that process. And when I just heard that there was an opportunity to do something like coaching at a place like this uh, with leaders like you, I was sold. I was like, this is going to be great. You know, I hadn't even seen the campus. Right. I had never seen the campus yeah. before. Uh, that's kind of my story. It was kind of a roundabout way of COVID changing past and then finding my way back to what I believe is kind of the, the purpose for why I'm on earth is just to try to help young people and coach them. Yeah, well, we're grateful for Jerry Capone. Thanks, thanks Man, to him. Man, Jerry Capone, dude. He, awesome. He's amazing. So you come to Woodbury your, your first year, uh, I remember, basically, as I remember, coaching the O-line yeah. with Coach Braswell. Yeah. What, what were your initial impressions of Woodbury, the school, and the community? Mm. What did you see in the program that was that you might have found compelling? What, what did you see that you had, would want to improve upon? Because mm. it wasn't long after that, that year that you had the chance to be the head coach, and I'm sure that getting acquainted with Woodbury must have been a really interesting moment in your life. Just being a public high school Sure, it's kid. so different. I mean, oh my gosh. It's such a weird, this is a weird, unique place. Totally. Uh, you know what though, I, I'm, but I'm used to kind of the bubble that yeah. Woodbury is because I feel like Charlottesville is a bubble as, some of that. as well. Yeah. And I was there for nine years. It's like, yeah. you're in a bubble. So a little smaller to scale, yeah. but I, so my first impressions of Woodbury, quickly you, I figured out, oh my gosh, these boys are getting a once in a lifetime opportunity to be here. Right. Because the faculty that I met, the adults on our campus, even our, uh, our staff members, it was uh, Tracy Nibblins and Jim. I was just like, everyone that has an opportunity to interact with these boys, I just don't think that there's another opportunity like this. How lucky the boys are to be here and how lucky and fortunate I am to be here. Yeah. It was really obvious to me. Now, as far as what I loved about the football program, it is the, the and model. Bronco talks a lot about and. You're a student and an athlete and a brother and a son. 
these boys have a tough schedule during the day, as they you know. They sure do, yeah. Um, and, but when they come down the hill, it's the and piece. Mm-hmm. Like, hey, let's all pour into our athletic identity right now. Let's all pour into being a team. And let's you know aim for something that is bigger than ourselves, which I don't think that there's a better vehicle to do that through than, than football. I, I, I love working with Scott Braswell. I yeah. really, I really do. And he and I kind of joke, you know, we didn't get enough time together because yeah. I do feel like he and I really were close. He was somebody that I could talk to about anything with. And I love learning from him. I mean, man, the guy's got a stadium named after himself in, yeah. in North Carolina, right? Coach Menhall, again, I, I go back to Coach Menhall. He just shaped so m- many of my ideologies. I'm tainted. And, and, and my, my view on the way that these organizations are, are I'm just so tainted by the Bronco style, which is every detail, every stone turned over, the alignment of the program with the boys and the institution that we're at. And I think that that was the one thing where I was just viewing this program through the lens of what Virginia football, that was my last experience at a football program, which is an unfair comparison, right? We're talking about not to shortchange Woodbury Forest, but it's it's high school football. That's right. And we're talking about uh, comparing it to a power five division one football program. But I just figured that, man, I think there are some things being left on the table with the way we organize this program, why we're coaching these boys, and then aligning those two things, the who and the why. Who is in this program and what are we doing and why are we doing it? Right. And I do believe that that was addressed in, in, in taking over the program and, and being given the opportunity and something that really makes sense to me even as a coach. You know, I don't want to just go coach just to coach. It's bigger than football and it always will be. And I think that was the one thing that I was like, okay, this could use a little bit of tightening. The why. The why. When you organize a program like a football program at a place like Woodbury, what is the why? And what are you, what, what are you trying to convey mm. that's most important to you and in your mind, most important to Woodbury? I, I say this so many times that it kind of does sound like kind of cliche. To me, coaching football at Woodbury Forest is an opportunity to help these young men become the best versions of themselves. You do that by doing hard things together. You do that by learning through adversity and growing through challenge. The athletic arm of Woodbury, if you will. To me, athletics are just another vehicle where a boy can pour his identity into. Mm -hmm. And it's just another opportunity for him to become a a better holistic version of himself. I think that's for clubs, for any extracurriculars, and especially for sports. Helping young men become the best versions of themselves. Yeah, another way of saying that is that the school ultimately exists to challenge a a boy to take responsibility for his life and Mm. and to become a good man. Football, just like the school's academic program, the residential program, everything that we do, we we aim at that as the the goal. And and I I agree with you that athletics generally, and football certainly, has, has that huge potential. I'm interested, how do you manage the emotion of wins and losses. Mm. A school, a team wins a game and, and it can be real. you can feel so fulfilled and, and feel so accomplished and you've really, really kind of had this great achievement with a big victory and, yeah. and after a, a, a 
unexpected or a devastating loss, you can feel really low. How do you as a coach manage the emotional ups and downs with um, with the results that we get, you know, good and bad? I'm really happy you asked about this, specifically the wins and losses part, because I just want to go back to the fact that we are at Woodbury to mold young men and help them grow. In taking that principle and applying it to football, and the way that I would deal with wins, losses, and, and heightened and, and lowered emotions that are tied to wins and losses, sure. uh, wins and losses, is not easy for me because I'm obviously competitive. Right. I, you know, I played the sport at a high level. Sometimes success validates what the program is built to do. Right. And at the same time, like we just mentioned. I wasn't hired here, or I hope I wasn't, and I know I wasn't because of our conversations. I wasn't hired here with the number one goal to win football games. That's right. If I was hired here with the number one goal to win football games, Woodbury wouldn't be what Woodbury is right now, which is one of the best opportunities to holistically develop young men at an all-boys boarding school in the country. If I was here to win football games, we would look a lot more like a Texas Florida kind of high school where football is the end-all be-all. Right. We wouldn't be making boys play two sports a year. Right. So I'm not here just to win football games. So it's easy for me to, it's not easy, but it's a little easier to come back to the principle of I'm here for a bigger purpose, which is to help these boys develop. Now, I'll say this though, uh, at the time that this is being recorded, the football team's 0-2. And that's, that's, not, that's not easy. No. What is the most emotionally draining part of the season so far has been the way in which our team is is losing the games, which is you know these are heightened these are heightened opportunities where a little bit of selfishness comes to the surface and you get a little bit further away from the team idea and you start thinking about me. Right. You know, there's something written about it's called the the, the disease of me. Yeah. To me, hurts me more. It's almost like the I'm not mad, I'm just disappointed thing. It hurts me more that our boys and our team and our culture are kind of feeling the stressors of me versus we right now. Because you lose a game and it's a hard-fought game, hey man, that's the man in the arena. We signed up to get in the arena. That's right. And, and there's going to be a winner and a loser. And you can't control the outcome. Can't control the outcome. You got to get a surrender the outcome when our team and our boys aren't taking the lessons of the greater is better is, is more important than you. The yeah. team is more important than you. Now that's where I really kind of get wrapped around the axle. And and the way I deal with it is really just to make sure that our team, our coaching staff, our managers. And really anyone that touches the program understands that we're keeping the main thing, the main thing, character and culture precede performance. Sure. As long as we are prioritizing culture over performance, then I can sleep at night. Yeah. And as long as I can sleep at night, uh, then, and, and I know that I'm prioritizing the boys' growth. Right. Man, look, we're, we're going to end up winning football games. I know we are. Sure. And I've seen the system work. This is not an or. Yeah. You know, it's it, not it, win games or develop boys. It's, it's an, an and. and. Yeah. It's a great example of an and. And I've heard of this uh, phrase making its way through social media that has an impact. And, and it's so cancerous and so poisonous. Mm. It's, I am, I'm him. Oh, yeah. I am him. That's a big and, one. Um, I won't comment on the fact that that's a predicate nominative mistake uh, for, for the grammarians <laughs> out there, but I will say that it's at odds with everything that a place like Woodbury 
aspires to stand for, and that is that you're every one of us is part of something a whole lot bigger than we are. Until and unless you can embrace that, it's going to be a, an uphill challenge. So we see it, yeah. and we deal with it every year, yeah. and um, I, I think that ultimately the the culture does prevail. But it's uh, it's one of the things that makes Woodbury a hard thing worth doing the right way. In a way, in that sense, we are kind of a counterculture totally. school. Yeah, It's going to take a consistent effort by the adults and the boys and the leaders at this school to make sure that our boys stay on that track of being yeah. counterculture. None of this I am him. Yeah. None of this... Uh, you know, people get a dunk at basketball and touching touching your the top of your head right. is just like, look at me. Right. No, look at us. Look at what we're doing here. Right. And I'm proud of that. I'm proud to be a, uh, at a place where we kind of go against the popular. Another uh, important leader in our uh, world, a little more broadly, over to Charlottesville and UVA is Tony Bennett. And mm. I remember Tony Bennett saying when he first came to Virginia, he had to find out who he could lo- lose with Ooh. before he could identify who he was going to win with. That strikes me as, you know, who's going to be in the arena yeah. with you still still standing at the end of the day? I've been interested and intrigued by Bennett's comment along those lines. Jackson, this has been terrific. We could talk for a long, long while, I'm sure. We're still early on in kind of the production of this podcast and happy that you've been on the show. I've, I've heard a couple of folks suggest that, uh, that, that the guests have the opportunity to ask me a question. So yeah. let's do that and then we'll do a little rapid fire and, and, and wrap it up. I know you've, okay. um, you've got a busy day here and I don't want to hold you up a whole lot longer. So what question do you have for me? This is a, this is a fascinating idea that I actually was reminded of last night in our assembly you touched on always aiming for personal development and, and growth. I think you kind of mentioned it for the, the boys specifically, but I was thinking it feels like there is a point where you kind of come on to the scene and the light kind of turns on. Like, right. I'm going to be focusing on personal development and growth, and this is what I'm going to do, and this is who I'm going to surround myself with. And, and I, I was wondering when that light came on for you and kind of how did that affect your trajectory afterward? It's a, a really good question. And I could point to lots of little moments in my life growing up where that happened, but the place where it happened in a sustained manner was here. Mm. You know, coming to Woodbury from Lubbock, Texas, I feel like I came from like black and white to, you know, high def <laughs> 3.0, just full color, all in kind of community. And, and, and the way that that felt for me as a boy is exactly the way I would like for it to feel the boys who come here now. And that is, uh, I, I had never felt like I would truly mattered to people beyond my parents and a couple of like close family friends. I didn't feel like as a boy that I really mattered beyond that little tight circle until I came here. Wow. And it was teachers and coaches and just the environment here that, you know, made me feel like I could do better than I thought I could do. And so it was teachers and coaches who held that up for me. And I just, I, I took to it. I had, I, I've, I had never been in a place where I felt more important than coming to Woodbury 
And at the same time, I never had been in a place where I felt really, really small. Knowing that I was part of something so much bigger than I would ever be. So it was that kind of and feeling really big and really small at the same time that just, it, it just cranked my engine personally. And um, I've always just been, been interested in being at places like Woodbury and being back here is a yeah. huge privilege. And as I like to say to the prefect board every year, you know, if, if you're not learning, you're not trying. Mm. And I, I think one of our big responsibilities and opportunities in, in life is to, is to be a learner always. Yes. And um, so I, I hope that remains the case for me. But that, that moment, that, that experience was, was definitely formative. And, and I could see myself growing. I could feel myself growing. You know, I, I ran cross country and that was a kind of sport where if you start training and getting faster, you see those results and it's, it's motivating. So those things triggered me early on and, and it really stuck with me in my, my, my lifetime. So that's a great question. Thanks yeah. for asking. It's, it's evident that you're a lifelong learner and a lifelong pursuer of growth from the faculty's perspective. The way that you, I mean, man, I see you running around the campus. Yeah. You know, I'm trudging. See, <laughs> slogging. Yeah. Yeah. That's how I run. You don't want to see me run. That's why I run off campus because I don't want anyone to see me. It's terrible. It looks painful. Uh, but it's obvious. I know I can speak for the faculty. I would say that every time you speak, when you're in front of our community, there's always something new. You kind of represent what it looks like when you're leading a, a community, but you're striving to personally grow and develop as you are in this leadership role. So it's obvious to us. It's interesting that it's when you came to Woodbury. I would have thought that maybe there was a, an opportunity as a, a child, but that's awesome. Thank you. I think I think the listeners would appreciate that answer. I think that was well, I think I mean, that would you're, suffice. You're kind. And I did have those moments as a kid, but never a sustained experience until I came nice. here. And you know, just every day was like a, a new challenge that I gravitated to as, as a kid. Okay, let's do a little rapid fire. Are you up for it? Yeah, I'm ready to go. Okay. What's your favorite meal in the dining hall? This is chicken curry. Not even a question. No question. Chicken curry is incredible. It is, it is really good. <laughs> Poor waiters are going back a lot for chicken curry when we have chicken curry. Can't wear white shirts on no, chicken curry. No, no, no. Don't want or, or to lose your tie in no. the sauce either. No, no. Favorite meal to fir tree? We've got to go... Uh, this is a little boring, but you got to go. I just get a bunch of eggs and sausage and bacon on a plate. I got to ditch the bread. You got to yeah. watch. Got to watch my uh, figure. But a bunch of eggs, bunch of sausages, bunch of uh, bacon. If I get a if I get a milkshake, just classic cookies and cream. Uh huh. Yeah. yeah. That's probably a special treat, though. You're probably not doing a whole lot of milkshakes. No, no, no. It has to be. It has to be. Uh, either I am really stressed out and I got to get a sugar rush, or uh, or it is special. It's like, man, I've been really good for a few weeks. Let me let me treat myself. Uh, so. Good, good enough. Yeah. Uh, favorite coach you played for? Favorite coach I played for. I'm I'm gonna go with uh, John Costello. Uh, he was my high school basketball coach. Oddly enough, not very good at basketball. For anyone who saw the faculty student game last year, I airballed two free throws in a row. I'm terrible. He just taught the game so well. It was always about life. He was a, a health teacher, and every day you walk into his class, he's playing Lean On Me by Bill Withers. Oh, that's awesome. He'd make us write through things we were grateful for, and just recently passed away last December, and definitely my favorite coach I've ever had. Well, here's to Coach Costello. That's yeah, awesome. that's right. Thank uh, you. Your favorite location on the Woodbury campus? At the residence in, in, in the back. Yeah. What, what's that backyard called? The Oval Garden. The Oval Garden has got uh, a few benches. Yeah. 
in kind of if you're facing out, it's kind of like the, the northwest corner closest to uh, the water tower. It's got up some benches out there. And I've actually, you sent out an email last year that said, please go enjoy it. Yeah. It's a huge space. Yeah. We leave the gates open. Yeah. <laughs> and after that, I was like, yeah, I probably went five or six times and I was like, man, if Byron's at home, he's going to be staring at me out here on this, on this bench. But I love it out there. It's uh, kind of a little escape and it's really serene and yeah, it's just beautiful. Collect my thoughts. That's yeah. a great, great spot. Yeah. Uh, I'm glad you're enjoying that. Thank you. All right, Coach Mateo, thanks so much for joining us on thanks, the podcast. Byron. And uh, thanks to all our listeners. Hope everybody has a great day. Go Tigers. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Woodbury Podcast. We hope you found our discussion insightful and engaging. And if you enjoyed today's episode, please consider subscribing, rating, or leaving a review on your favorite podcast platform. Stay tuned for more conversations in the future. And remember, the conversation doesn't have to end here. Connect with us on Woodbury Forest School social media, reach out with your questions or comments, and let's keep the dialogue going. Until next time, take care and go Tigers!